Good day, listeners, and Happy New Year. This is your host, Michael Martins, with the Martins Critical Review, broadcasting this morning from a snowy, cold, wintry day in south-central British Columbia. In today's program, we present which, one, which will be one of the final covid focus episodes for your listening pleasure. In this episode, we will be examining the largely unreported and very disturbing rate of stillborns being delivered to mRNA-vaccinated mothers. We will take a look at what is happening at a physiological level to cause this issue, as well as exploring what is happening to those that speak out against the official narrative. Today, we are very fortunate to host the recently retired physician, Dr. Mel Bruchet. Dr. Bruchet is a graduate of UBC Medicine and served his community and patients faithfully since 1970, working at the Lionsgate Hospital in North Vancouver. In mid-November of 21, Dr. Bruchet held a press conference in North Vancouver to expose the alarming rate of stillborns being delivered to vaccinated mothers. He also requested the RCMP launch a criminal investigation into the actions of government officials. For his efforts to inform his fellow man, the criminal enterprise known as the British Columbia Provincial Government had him arrested and deposited into the psychiatric ward where he spent nearly a month. I ask that listeners hear what Dr. Mel has to say and decide for yourself whether his treatment was warranted or a massive overreach of authority akin to Soviet-style KGB tactics. Dr. Bruchet, welcome to the show. Thank you so much for your time today and your years of service and for your bravery. And thank you, Martin. Uh, it's uh, certainly my pleasure to be here and uh, particularly at the behest of Isra and uh, I just wanted to say that uh, without voices like yours, uh, our message would not be as easy to promulgate and uh, make the points that I want to make. So thank you. For Very good, sir. I appreciate that. Thank you. So let's start off, if you if we could today, please, with, with a brief background on yourself so the listeners can get to learn a little bit more about you and understand what motivates you. Well, I guess uh, I've always... Uh, uh, had a name of doing general uh, medicine, particularly in family practice. And I ended up uh, during my training going to the States for a year and I was going to be a pediatric cardiovascular surgeon, but I didn't like the whole milieu of Houston, Texas at that time. And I didn't particularly like the uh, Denton Cooley DeBakey program that was at the Bentop Hospital where I interned and did a general internship. And so I returned to Canada and I wasn't sure what I was going to do, but I kept looking at uh, family practice. And in that vein, I ended up doing locums uh, relief work uh, throughout the province, particularly in uh, Quenelle and uh, McCusp, where I was. For a month, I was the only doctor there because the gentleman that I replaced, uh, Freddie Maxfield, had not had a holiday for something like, I think, about eight or ten years. Uh, was doing yeoman service, looking after the cusp and New Denver. And when lost his license, uh, he had to do both. And he was an overworked but a great GP. And he was my model initially. And... Uh, I had an incredible experience in Quinnell where that small hospital had an abundance of uh, expertise. All the GPs had at least a year of uh, pediatrics or obstetrics or whatever. And we had four specialists and uh, it was just a, a great experience. So I was looking to set up my practice. And in that vein, I worked all over the lower mainland and did locums there as well. 
and finally heard about uh, uh, Lionsgate in North Van. I, I grew up in Jericho Beach area in, uh, in Vancouver and then uh, heard about uh, Lionsgate and uh, decided to have a look at it. Super. And, and we should point out to the listeners that we share an interesting connection. Uh, you were good friends with the pediatrician that delivered me. Uh, would you care to share some, some details about our mutual colleague? Well, he was a quintessential uh, great GP. And I think I think he might have spent a year or two in uh, general practice, but he ended up in pediatrics. And he was the one that... Uh, was a parent uh, at your delivery at Lionsgate Hospital. And uh, he, he was a, a good friend and uh, we had a, a group of us that would always meet for coffee or lunch uh, in Northmont Pharmacy. And uh, we bonded and uh, as I told you some details, it was a tragic end to him, but uh, he, was, he was a great, uh, a great pediatrician and a great model. He loved his kids, and they loved him. Yeah, I, I remember it was uh, it wasn't a scary experience going to see him. He was uh, he used to carry me around the office, and uh, he was it was like all all of his patients were his kids. He he was a very warm hearted man. Yeah, he was a kid. He he never lost that. Yeah, that's good. That's good. So I have a philosophical question for you before we get into some of the science here. It seems to me that many of the doctors and medical professionals that are pushing you back against the official narrative share two similarities. One is that they're people of some kind of faith. And second, they have appreciation for the arts and or history. Have you witnessed this yourself? And, and why do you think this is the case? Oh, I think absolutely. I think uh, what it does, uh, general practice gives you a a much broader perspective. You're not, uh, you don't have the tunnel vision. You don't have the, uh, uh, the, you, you can see past the forest to the trees. And uh, I think that uh, uh, any belief system that promulgates that kind of thinking is stands you in very good stead, whether it's Christianity or Buddhism or whatever. I think uh, it, uh, it's, it just broadens your horizon. And I think it's certainly not unique to the medical profession, but whatever field you're in, including your own, uh, you, you are attracted to it for those, those essential reasons. You, you have to be in a minority to, to recognize that the, the herd is being led rapidly in the wrong direction to the impending cliff. <laughs> True, true. And, and in our discussion last night, uh, you shared with me that uh, you were perhaps on the road to become a priest uh, as opposed to uh, a doctor. And, and so obviously you, you perhaps are more grounded in faith than uh, many of your other colleagues. Yes, I think so. You can't go through that experience, even though it was, you know, uh, the novitiate year was just a half year and the seminary was a year, but it was... It was an incredibly uh, varied experience just because of the personnel. I mean, they, you got to meet Canada there and the, the newfies were newfies. Uh, that was my first uh, experience with meeting one, being from the West Coast. None of us, we hardly knew how to skate, never mind play hockey. And we, we learned back there. And that was the evening you got out uh, was to flood the rink and set it up for the hockey the next day. And, so, as I mentioned to you, they wanted well-rounded 
uh, priests who had life experience so that even if they didn't go into any form of ministry, that they would have that background. Yes, yes. And of course, you know, it clearly served you well. And, and it's a, a shame that perhaps more doctors don't have that uh, more well-rounded approach to life instead of that, like you say, that very clinical tunnel vision. Well, yes. And to the point, that was uh, 180 degrees from the experience I had in, in Texas in surgery. It was it was so it was a pyramid system where they eliminated every year they eliminated so many first year residents, so many second year residents, so many. So it was a, it was literally a dog eat dog situation. I mean, they would, they would make you look bad so that they look good. And gotcha. I, you know, I saw this just right off the bat because, you know, I was totally, totally out of their sphere. I think I, I had one other UBC contact uh, in Houston at that time. And he was in internal medicine, so I hardly, I hardly had any contact with him. But as far as I know, I was the only Canadian in that surgical program. So it was, uh, it was bizarre. Uh, and it was Texas, which is <laughs> Texas first and everything else is second. Shoot For first, sure. later. There we go. So, uh, Dr. Brichet, you bravely held a press, press conference, uh, I believe it was November 14th, to expose the alarming rate of stillborns being delivered to mRNA vaccinated mothers. Can you provide us with some details on this subject matter, please? Yes, I'd be delighted to. Um, so I, I joined uh, Action for Canada uh, in that summer. Uh, I think it was probably about July. I went to the first meeting and, and uh, two of my supporters and uh, friends and former patients uh, brought me to the meeting and uh, sort of introduced me around to all the movers and shakers in the group. And it was, it was an amazing experience. I mean, they told me, you know, uh, they don't have a doctor. There's no doctor joined this, this group every Sunday. And I thought, well, that's bizarre. But I also knew that I was a lone wolf on, on the North shore. And uh, so doctors and in their defense, uh, it's incredibly difficult for them to speak out, particularly if they've got a license, because that's going to be the first thing that's removed if you rattle too many cages. And uh, that's exactly what happened. And uh, so I, I didn't want to be a splinter group. I wanted to stay in touch with all these other great groups. Uh, uh, but I started doing small uh, uh, little rallies down at the Lonsdale Key. And initially, I, you know, there might have been 20 or 30 people came and we were basically passing out information about the vaccine program, which I thought was the, the biggest threat, particularly to the kids. And at that point, uh, the stillbirth uh, numbers weren't even available. And uh, that happened a couple of weeks later. So, um, as I say, the main aim at that time was to stop the vaccination program. And I thought if we could do that, that would be the, the last domino that would start the, the whole cause uh, to becoming more aware and, and, and stop it in its tracks. And I still believe that. And I think we're, we're also close to that happening. And people, you know, look at me and say, I hope so, I hope so, and I hope so. But then each meeting you find out that it's, it, it is closer. So getting back to your comment about the, the, the uh, 
stillborns. That, uh, that was absolutely pivotal because I decided that, that my rallies would be basically a, on a framework of supporting the armed forces and supporting the RCMP and the cancer survivors because of the huge increased rate of cancer in anybody who's been vaccinated. And, uh, and uh, fourthly, it was stopping the, the uh, vaccines and uh, so-called. And that was the, the main gist of the talk. And then I got into, literally, it was about two nights before, at the end of a small rally, uh, I, I met the doulas and they, they were at my house and uh, they uh, provided me with some amazing information. And initially it was a little confusing because, excuse me, the numbers weren't uh, exactly correct and I questioned them on it. And what I hammered over and over again was that this had nothing to do with Lionsgate Hospital, even though I was I was doing my uh, my pitch in front of the RCMP uh, station on 14th, which is about maybe 100 yards from the entrance to uh, the Lionsgate emergency and Jimmy Patterson's uh, uh, rebuild of the emergency. And uh, so I was sometimes gesturing in that direction. The end result was that there was confusion whether these stillborns were at uh, Lionsgate Hospital or whether they were at the Women's Center. And I never said that it was anything to the stillborns. I knew that there was stillborns happening at Lionsgate Hospital, but I didn't have any numbers. I didn't have any definition whether they were, uh, thank you, whether they were um, uh, vaccinated or, or not. So I, I stressed over and over again, and I had uh, placards uh, advertising the fact that it was 13 deaths in a 24-hour period at Women's Center, September 18 and 19. Now, when we're talking stillborns, are we talking full-term or are we talking miscarry? What is? Uh, no, the, the miscarries, they, there was a huge increase in miscarriages too, but that's not nearly as easy to document. I mean, you know, miscarriages happen. It's just that the miscarriage rates were hugely increased, but the miscarriages that was documentable was the stillborns. And so these were term, there's no way knowing that, uh, um, I mean, they're, they're born dead. So they have had a life and a pure soul that immediately goes to the right place. Um, and, uh, it was literally the slaughter of the innocents, and that is basically what the whole uh, genetically engineered experiment is. It's playing with, playing God with, with poisonous uh, injections. Yes. Now, a question for you before we get into the science of perhaps what's happening here on a physiological level. Uh, about three months ago, I attended a nurses meeting um, here in the Okanagan area, and it was brought up that there was something in the neighborhood of um, 
I believe it was somewhere between 16 and 18 uh, stillborns that had been delivered um, in that preceding six-month period. And in our region, the maternity nurses were saying that it was somewhere in the neighborhood of one to two would be an average. Um, I worked very hard and had a number of other people trying to get some of these maternity nurses and, and the doulas to speak up, and nobody was willing to talk about it. Why is there such a stigma related to this? And why is, you know, you're the first person who is accredited to come forward with this information. Why has there been such a resistance? Well, I think it comes back to the same. You're going totally against the tide. You're alone. And uh, if you look back on uh, interviews like you, uh, initially, these people were called, whether they were doctors or nurses or healthcare providers in any field, they were calling from all over Canada and, and, you know, they were, they were practicing in Nunavut and they were worried about their father getting an injection in, in the Okanagan and they felt so alone and it, the, the vibe was incredible that all of a sudden these people from diverse parts of, of the country were coming together under one banner, whether, whether it was action for Canada or whether it was uh, a common ground or whatever uh, they, they had found a home and to me that that was huge and why I did it was because I, I had the opportunity. I mean, I, I started in Lionsgate Hospital and it was the first lockdown hospital in Canada and Lynn Valley uh, Care Center was the first death from from uh, COVID. And so why don't they do it? Because they lose their licenses. It doesn't matter what they do. Uh, that's you know, Bonnie will send the Gestapo out in the form of the college and uh, whether it's nursing or doulas or whatever, any organized group, they will be chastised because they're totally against the against the crowd. Interesting. Yeah, because again, and speaking with a couple of those nurses, I mean, they a number of their colleagues had had gone on stress leave because obviously you know delivering a stillborn is a tragic event and the, the trauma that the the delivering mother goes through and the family i mean that's uh, an incomprehensible event and you know having that happen on occasion is expected but when it's one after another and it's you know the the, the trauma just continues and increases i mean it's 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 shocking well that's exactly the point and you have to think what kind of coercion and what kind of cover-up has to be in place to to uh, ignore that? I mean, particularly at Women's Center, I mean, you've got a 24-hour period. That means you've got two shifts of nurses and all the allied support in that delivery room. And, and how come, you know, it took that long uh, to, to have that uncovered? And... I mean, to me, that was even that would be even more difficult than the Waterloo uh, experience in Ontario because that was over a, a six-month period, and it was an 800% increase in stillbirths, uh, which is obviously humongous. But uh, it was over a much longer period of time, and in a smaller uh, hospital uh, without the the exposure because. You know the women's center is is the best in in the, the in the province so all the referrals there and that gets into you know how complicated were these deliveries apart from this fact i mean they you know they would have 
they would have been delivering women in their 40s and they would have been delivering women in their 15s or 16s uh, years. So um, it it uh, it's still it's still mind boggling to think that this could have happened and be a sudden revelation that had obviously been going on as long as they were double vaxxed, mandated to. And uh, that's the scary part that, uh, yes. you know, there has to be so much overlay and subterfuge to, to hide that. So what do you think is happening at a physiological level uh, to these mothers and to these fetuses? Well, the injection is lethal. <laughs> it's, uh, it's pretty straightforward. It's incompatible with life. And whether the, the clotting occurs in the brain or in the heart, or it's obviously a, a cataclysmic end to, the, end to life. And uh, it's, it's automatic. It's, uh, they don't call it the, the jab uh, of death for nothing. It's, uh, and so yeah. essentially what, what we're seeing then is the, the, what would ima I would imagine to be the, the mother's body producing spike proteins, which are then transferring through the placenta and uh, damaging the fetus. Absolutely. Absolutely. You know, the further we get into this, uh, I say we in terms of anybody thinking in this realm, uh, it, you know, the details of this ignominy of how this was developed and processed over years and years and years and uh, the mad scientists that conjured it up it, it's uh, it's a, a damnation of the whole scientific community and the whole moral process of our society and when you look at it it's just the tip of the iceberg i mean i don't think this planet has been more populated uh, more distorted and and criminal than it is right now. I mean, if you look around the world and I think, you know, I'm not sure that some of these tenants, that this is, this is mankind's history. I mean, we, we started off bashing over one another over the head with rocks and pointy sticks and, and we're still doing the same thing, but now we're a lot more sophisticated. And so we can, we can, we can take years to promulgate this but it's, it's falling apart in a matter of two or three years. I mean, when you think about it, it all was the end of 19 that uh, this started becoming known above the spike protein and uh, generally, and then all of a sudden, you know, here we are at the beginning, you know, of the third year. And as I say, it's the end is close for this whole process because it's just, it's just the, the whole World Wide Web is is uh, so powerful and so, so easily promulgate this. Uh, you're doing an amazing job on the the Canadian coast part of this, but this is so viral in you know a matter of minutes. And then once it's out of Canada, then it's literally it's a global village, and so whole process works works both ways and it is unraveling a lot faster than than it uh, it took to put it together that's for sure
Sure. So do you think there can be anything which, let's say if a, a mother, expectant mother, uh, has been coerced or duped into taking one of these vaccines, is there anything that that individual can do to potentially mitigate the effects in terms of detoxification? Or, or is this kind of a, you know, we don't, we don't know this yet? We don't know this yet. And, uh, you know, you, you can all, I mean, basically, healthcare in general is focused on, on motherhood, and they do everything to, with the prenatal classes and education and everything. It does make a difference. It, it, it doesn't completely reverse. If you've got a big passenger and a small birth canal, you're going to have problems no matter how prenatal care you've had. But, so you can't overcome that. But the basics of, of good nutrition and vitamins and uh, then it gets into the question, <clears throat> excuse me, is there any role for ivermectin or hydrochloroquine or whatever? Who knows? But the downside of trying it is virtually zip. So why not? <laughs> right, right. And then, of course, if, there, if, if we're seeing fetuses which are being damaged to the point where they're dying, I would imagine that even those that successfully are delivered to vaccinated mothers may have some physiological damage, which isn't apparent immediately, but there could be some you know, damage to the organs, which may manifest over the toddler years or their, their early years. Absolutely. So, you know, whether it's cerebral palsy or any of the plagues of infancy that aren't apparent, uh, you know, whether you're, you're looking at a baby that's going to become diabetic or or have kidney failure or any number of problems. Absolutely. And all these organs are the ones that are going to be uh, most obvious, the earliest, whether it's brain, heart, kidney, or lung. Or I guess uh, auto, I know potential autoimmunity problems as well. Yeah, yeah. Um, Dr. James Lyons Weiler today just released uh, some shocking information regarding the oncogenic potential of these vaccines, um, which again leads me to to be very concerned that we may be facing an epidemic of child cancer uh, with this this generation or this cohort of uh, children being born. Undoubtedly, I mean that's certainly one of the scariest. Uh, in my experience, which is limited to, to some degree, but uh, I certainly have contact with Paul Klimo on the North Shore, who's the oncology guru for the North Shore, certainly. And uh, it, it, I've, I've had cases uh, of, of uh, friends who developed a week after developed a lymphoma, leukemia type of uh swelling and infection and inflammation and cancer in in one arm literally a week after wow wow that's shocking that's shocking. They, well was there some incipient um you know early start to this cancer that was shot forward in a week or was this totally uh generated by the the uh genetic manipulation of the vaccine. Yeah, yeah, that's, uh, and, and again, you know, we're, we are in a grand experiment. These are, you know, still under the uh, phase three trial, the, you know, the data clearly has been manipulated. Uh, the FDA is sleeping at the wheel. Uh, you know, Health Canada is even worse in terms of their transparency. 
and you know the the ramifications of this uh, program are going to be years, if you know, maybe even decades uh, forthcoming. No, it is. It it it's really you know uh, inconceivable that you can come up with stats all brought out by Pfizer usually that says you know it's ninety five percent effective. And then a few months later, it's saying, well, no, it's it's 75%. And then it ends up that it's not only doesn't even last a year, but it it increases your risk, <laughs> never mind, helps it. Yeah. And they, they keep doing it. It's just, you know, this latest Omicron thing is just a rehash of the whole the whole scenario. It's yeah. uh it's, yeah, and of course we're we're the the data out of the UK, which is a lot more uh, transparent than what we see in Canada. I mean, they've got about an 80% double or triple vaccinated uh, hospitalization rate versus the unvaccinated being at 20%. So, you know, clearly the program isn't working and, and our leadership, which is a, I will use that term loosely in Canada, uh, is, you know, driving us down, uh, like you say in the opening statements, uh, driving us over the proverbial cliff here. Um, I, I had the pleasure of interviewing Dr. Francis Christian soon after he went public uh, in the summertime, cautioning uh, the use of these vaccines in the 12 to 18 year old cohort, uh, which was uh, summarily uh, followed by his dismissal uh, in a Soviet style uh, disciplinary hearing. Let's uh, examine what happened to you uh, following this press conference, because this is a new low for uh, the Canadian uh, totalitarian authorities here. Well, it was a wild ride and totally unexpected. And uh, I, I still, looking back on it, think how how, how could this have happened? It it started off with uh, basically a nine one one call that had uh, eight uh, RCMP at my front door, um, which was obviously totally unexpected. The RCMP had already been up to my uh, to try and quiet my downstairs neighbor's uh, music parade that he was running all night long and intermittently. And uh, I was actually hosting uh, Daniel um, Nagazi and uh, Charles Hoff and uh, Poipus at my at that time. And so they witnessed this whole thing. I opened the door stupidly, not realizing I thought it was going to be one of the RCMP that had been up at my house at my request the night before, and it turned out it wasn't, but it was a, a corporal that I knew from a previous incident and had an intense dislike for, and the next thing, I had my hands behind my back and was being marched down my driveway and up the center of my street because there was... Uh, there was eight RCMP in four cars, and uh, two of them were unmarked, I think unmarked. The details weren't too clear at that time. But, uh, and so I, I, let, me, let me just interject there, Dr. Bruchet. When, when the officer attended and, and obviously placed you under arrest to put you into handcuffs, what were, what were the allegations? What were the charges at that point? There really weren't many. <laughs> I, I, it was just all kind of a blur. I, I, all I remember is that Poipus said that don't put him in handcuffs or he doesn't need to be in handcuffs. I mean, no matter how you slice it, I'm an 81-year-old grandfather and uh, 
Uh, I was not posing a lot, uh, you know, I was not Osama bin Laden and I didn't look like it and I didn't feel like it, but that's how basically I was treated. I mean, it was, talk about a police state, it, it was surreal. I just, and you know, as I walked up the middle of the street, the cars had to stop because that, there was only one lane because the, the RCMP cars were parked on, on the, it, it's a, it's a fairly narrow street and, uh, there was only one way. So the neighbors that were coming down the hill had to wait while I got shoved in the backseat of the, of the, uh, the squad car. So, I mean, some real tyrannical theater. I mean, uh, you know, you, you could have been escorted out by the arm by, uh, you know, a man half your age. Uh, you were obviously not combative. Uh, you know, so to have this kind of police presence is, is clearly theater uh, to impose their their draconian measures upon the population. It certainly was. And that's how I arrived in Lionsgate Hospital. And uh, I had his ear literally and figuratively. He was driving and they had a uh, another RCMP constable. Uh, she was a nurse, uh, uh, RCMP nurse. And so she... <laughs> She didn't know anything about our previous meeting in front of the RCMP. And uh, so, as I commonly describe it, I gave him both barrels and he couldn't go anywhere. He was driving and I was literally probably two feet from his ear. And it was, <laughs> there was no doubt about that. And it, I just, I had, you know, however it took to drive down there, it seemed like it was over in a couple of minutes, but it wasn't, he wasn't speeding and he didn't have the lights on and he wasn't, he was just driving. So I, every time he stopped, I the reaction on his face, Oh, oh <laughs> I can't keep moving. And this guy's got me, uh, in hearing distance to say the least. But you know, when I actually, when I arrived in emerge, which I'd been in many, many times, even since, uh, Mr. Patterson did the, the amazing renovations. Uh, there I was with my hands behind my back, cuffed. And they didn't take the cuffs off till I was in a room. And poor Paladin, a partridge in a pear tree. I mean, I, you know, again, it was, it was pretty surreal. And, and so why did they take you to the hospital? I mean, uh, that's, that's a strange well, move. Have to. I mean, it, it was a 911 call. So that was set up by my my tenant. So basically, this was a a tenant owner dispute. That was and that got into the whole bit about I was going to kill his cats. I mean, he said that on air, you know. So when he when he placed the nine one one call, so this is all recorded, and you know it was please 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 don't kill my cats. I had no intention of killing his cats. But the details that came out in the the uh, in my uh, incarceration uh, and my review for my medical competency, the the details were just they were hilariously stupid. I mean, I think the gerontologist described them as three white cats instead of two black cats. But that was the history that they got, and so the the. Uh, the review board was was a joke. I mean, when I when I read through it after, as you know, they have to have all four points uh, required uh, to. It has to be a unanimous vote. And I thought, 
how could they come to this conclusion with my history? But the history was so distorted and warped. I ended up being reviewed by three psychiatrists, which, as you know, <laughs> the odds are uh, three of them being sane is uh, highly unlikely. One, <laughs> but three, uh, I don't think so. <laughs> right. And so then you, you were taken to the psychiatric uh, facility for evaluation and, and detention. Is that correct? Yeah. I stayed in Emerge, uh, and they they shot me up with some loxapine. That was the first uh, that was the first injection. It it really wasn't a big deal. I mean, it was a low dose, and but it's you know it's used to treat schizophrenia. And I mean, the the diagnosis. I basically covered every between the three specialists and the nurses and anybody within earshot, they covered the, the psychiatric manual for disease. I mean, it was, you know, I was narcissistic. I was bipolar. I was depressed. I was, uh, they never, they never said schizophrenic, but that's one of the main uses for loxapine. So they were treating it. So in the end, I mean, I was misdiagnosed and I was mistreated. I didn't have the care it was fantastic. <laughs> yeah. And then you, you spent about three weeks or so interned there, is that correct? Yeah, three and a half. Um, oh. And I, I was able to write and I was able to think. And it was, it was, it certainly was not all bad, but I saw it as it was. And it was, it was uh, readily apparent that it was uh, 22 days of one flew over the cuckoo's nest. And, uh, I like Nicholson and I like the story, but uh, no doubt in my mind, there were people in there that were uh, in a lot better mental shape than, than the staff because they, they, once they are in that position, even if they want to, they can't, they can't go against it. I mean, it goes right to the top. It goes right to our wonderful leader in Ottawa and, and uh, the wonderful Teresa Tam. And, nice. It, it's just a cascade of misinformation and mistreatment. Well, I mean, it's, it's interesting that you bring up, uh, I, I, I obviously know you're using the term wonderful sarcastically because he's anything but, he's a clown. And, um, you know, he, in his recent French um, CBC interview there where he called uh, the those who, who do not follow his BS narrative, uh, you know, misogynistic and racist and, and uh, you know, it, it's, it's very sad where Canada has arrived uh, because, unfortunately, many people have ascribed to, to the narrative and they've been captured. And, you know, this isn't occurring everywhere else in the world. Um, you know, the, the there's there's this imaginary line not too far south from us here, and of course the west coast is of America is somewhat captured. But you know, the the entire Mississippi Basin and the Missouri Basin, you know, down to the Gulf, th this is over and has been over for six or more six or more months now. Exactly. All you have to do is watch football. <laughs> well, and this is it. You know, so for Canadians, and you know, I'll, I'll use the the example of the NHL. You know, here at home, you've got a, a um, you know, now in, in Ontario, you've got 50% capacity. In BC, you know, you've got uh, the Canucks games with a bunch of, you know, idiots wearing masks and pretending like they're protecting one another. They're all vaccinated. And, you know, then you, you watch your team at an away game and the stadium is filled to the, to the brim with maskless people having a great old time and there's nothing happening. 
So I don't, I don't understand how that doesn't, there, there's, it doesn't equate to anything amongst the population. It's very bizarre. Well, that, you know, that's the thing about the global village, you know, in a nanosecond, you know, you've got seven plus billion people and uh, there it is. In the, you know, one second you're in Dubai and the next second you're in Los Angeles. It's, uh, you can't hide that sort of stuff. It's just, uh, it's there in your, it's yeah. our reality. Yeah, I mean, yet it seems that people are ignoring this. And, and you know, we've seen in Quebec that uh, people dutifully went home at 10, 10 o'clock p.m. on uh, New Year's Eve. Um, and, and, you know, they had the police were wandering down the streets with megaphones telling people to go home. And it's, like, it's a scene out of 1984. It is exactly. And it, it was the same thing at, uh, at One Flew Over the Cuckoo's Nest, at the Hopeless Center. It was, uh, you know, we were... I ordered in pizza, and so we <laughs> And when you look outside, there was no fireworks, there was no lights on, there was nobody honking horns, there was nothing. It was New Year's Eve, and uh, I think we were one of the few parties in, in town. With not, not, nothing other than compliance out there. So, Everything else was <laughs> right, right, right. So I understand that you also were looking to file charges against uh, elected and appointed government officials to determine if there's conflict of interest regarding the, the lockdowns and the mandates and the, all, the, all the rest of the garbage. How's that coming along? Well, it's been filed, as you know. It, it grinds slowly and it'll be made. Uh, the opposition is, is well organized and well uh, papered with uh, legal opinions to the contrary, but uh, there's no doubt about it, whether you're talking about a conflict of interest or you're talking about a notice of liability, uh, they, they've shattered every rule of the Hippocratic Oath and the uh, uh, all our national policies on freedom and rights. And yeah, I mean, it certainly, it certainly seems like since March of 2020 that the the rule of law in Canada has ceased to exist and, and the charter and the constitution and, and everything else has just been thrown out. And that, you know, that's the, the wonderful thing about these rallies and openings. You know, people come up to you and they tell you their story. And increasingly, it's Eastern Europeans, Bulgarians, Romanians yeah. come up to you and say, we're thinking about going back. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, I've heard the same thing. Already had relatives that have, have gone back to Russia. And then, of course, you tell that to a Canadian and they say, oh, well, they're welcome to go back to Russia. It's worse. It's not worse. Russia does not date double vaccine. Yeah, so. yeah, yeah. That's that's very true. And, and I have a number of uh, friends here whose parent in, in, in the Kelowna area whose friends uh, grew up under the uh, the Soviet influence in, in the Ukraine, uh, have harrowing stories to tell. And uh, the, the one lady, Ivana, you know, she's explicitly said everything that is happening. None of this is new. This is all out of the KGB manuals, every last thing. And, and you know, and her statement also that it's unfortunate that so many Canadians seem to just be these good little snitches that are happy to snitch out their neighbors. And, and uh, I'm not sure, you know, it's, it's uh, and I would imagine, you know, given your age, this must be extremely disappointing to see where Canada has wound up because, you know, even in my lifetime, the Canada that I grew up in is so radically different to what we find ourselves in today. I mean, it's, it's, it's shocking. It is. And, you know, that gets into 
you know, maybe Satan's Bible is uh, COVID-19, the Great Reset, which is the same as the Communist Manifesto. And I mean, it, it's blotted. And, you know, it it is so right versus left wing. So you're, you're celebrating the 75th anniversary of the doctor's trial in Nuremberg or the Nuremberg trial itself. And at the same time, we're, we're communist. Uh, so, yeah. I, and I guess it, it, that looks, that is the worst view. And I think there, there has to be a, a very large uncommitted uh, middle of the road people that, that haven't been heard. But once, once that swing starts, then all of a sudden it's gonna be a stampede to be on the right team. And I mean, there'll be a percentage of God knows what uh, will never accept the fact that they they did what they did. But uh, well, unfortunately, I think in this country, the the swing is only going to go so far. I I think that at least 60 percent of people are captured and it's probably more 90 plus percent. And, and how, we will see here as this third booster is mandated, how many people are truly captured or is this going to be a line in the sand which they're not going to cross? And, you know, you, you mentioned uh, the dishonorable uh, Terry Tam earlier, uh, you know, who before Christmas was adamant that uh, the six-month-olds now receive this uh, injection as well. So, you know, wh- where does it stop? You know, what is an, you know, is, is a 16-year-old boy that has a heart attack from an injection is that different from a six-year-old that has a stroke from this injection or different from a six-month-old? Like, what is what is going to be the catalyst where people say enough is enough? Well, I think that it's it's exactly that. It's too late for this generation. And I think it it is not going to be, you know, the aim was to depopulate the planet down to one or two billion uh, in, in the, the Great Reset. Uh, and I don't think it's going to be anywhere near that. But the deaths are going to be from the vaccine, not from the COVID. With I mean, this variant is basically a cold. Yeah. Um, probably the weakest one, and they all make variants. And every so all the coronaviruses, whether it's influenza A, B, or SARS, or whatever, they all do the same thing. This is not a killer back, uh, virus. Yes, yes. So, uh, Dr. Bruchet, what is your message then to Canadians moving forward who value freedom and liberty and wish to maintain it? Uh, shape up or ship out. <laughs> I think, uh, it, as I say, it, it, it's going to be something that you can't, you can't uh, uh, go against this tide once it swings. And I, I don't think I'm maybe as pessimistic as as you are in terms of that number. But I think the scary thing is that here we are with 36 plus uh, billion people, a million people in Canada. And I mean, you know, there are cities in China and South America and whatever that are the same population. And uh, here we are with a totally divided disaster. And I think it's going to come down to... Yeah, I think uh, uh, I've just been handed here the gates of Athens. If you want freedom, prepare for war. And I think it was interesting. One of my daughters said the same thing. All we want is peace. And I said, well, you don't get peace by 
sitting back on your butt and not doing anything. You have to win a war. And this is, I think, World War Three, And it's uh, comparatively, I think, I think we are really going to escape relatively safe. But the ones that do either die in the attempt or uh, subsequently, because we have no idea how this gene uh, pool uh, is going to finish up. So it, uh, I, but I think overall, I, I really remain optimistic that it's uh, it's on the slippery slope to to it ending. And uh, again, I think it, it takes it takes a, a whole team at every walk of life, whether you're a fly on the wall or whether you're a leader or a follower. It, it takes exactly the package that you you are uh, are setting up. And again, thank you for it. And it, it, it's doable. It, it's no longer not only possible, it's, it's possible. Yeah. So, Dr. Bruchet, in your lengthy experience being sanctioned by the um, Physician of College and Surgeons, you know, since 1970, I guess it is, has the college always been so draconian and, and top-heavy, or, or is this a new evolution of this organization? Oh, I think it's a it's a new depth of depravity. Uh, I mean, it's, it's just so obvious, you know, she says to the college jump and they say how high and whether it's Charles Hoff or whether it's, I mean, that's where I've had a tremendous advantage. I mean, I gave up my license three years ago, which was probably a year or two late. I was so fed up with the whole mess that I should have probably packed it in earlier, but yeah. it was worth the effort. And, uh, Yes, it, uh, it, they have to have all the places, all the pieces in place, you know, so if you're going to, if you're going to be a Hitler, you got to have the SS and the Gestapo or the communist, got to have the red guy. Yeah, and, and you know, I, I will say that I, and I've said it before in the program, that I, that I have a, a very large level of contempt and disappointment amongst many of the, you know, a majority of these medical professionals because they haven't taken it upon themselves to be scientists or true medical professionals uh, and look at the data, analyze the data, uh, look at some of the thought leaders like a gentleman like Peter McCullough or Dr. Alexander, uh, and then even evaluate the information from a, a simple country doctor like Dr. Hoff who raised the alarm on a, on a compassionate basis, seeing what he saw, he presented science and he's crucified for it. Yet we have, you know, lockstep these physicians that are essentially now profiting from this situation and they kind of refuse to, to look at what is happening and they continue to toe the line. And, and, you know, um, and, you know, James Lyons Weiler on the program uh, before Christmas uh, agreed that, you know, these people are now paramount to murders because you know, if, if you are an educated health professional and you continue to advise your patients to take this vaccine, you are complicit in the damage or their death. There's no doubt. It, it, and, you know, they've all been bought uh, in one way or another. And uh, you, you can send them the information ad nauseum. And I mean, this goes right to the top, whether it's Conway or whoever in the system you know, one level below Bonnie. Um, you can send them information about the useless of the testing. You can, uh, you know, give them all the chapter and verse. I mean, they know, they know what, you know, you can't be a lead virologist, epidemiologist in the system and not know this stuff. I mean, most of, as you know, UBC was in the forefront. 
Steve Palesh, uh, you know, talks about it all the time. And I mean, there's another hero. I mean, he's so understated. He works unbelievable hours and he's, you know, part of that illustrious group across Canada. And as I said, I keep saying I, I'm a late bloomer. I got into this about two and a half years ago. And uh, these people have been doing it for years and years and years. And uh, they paid the price. And initially, in those first years, they were totally alone yeah. against overwhelming, you know, league of stupidity that thinks that this is all a yeah, and I mean, I, I, on on the uh, Stephen Palesh there, I, I would argue the toss there. I mean, he was told to shut his research down, and he dutifully obeyed. Uh, and you know, the 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 uh, innate immunity or COVID recovered antibodies, and the fact that those people should never have a COVID vaccine, nor are they a problem for transmission or further infection. Uh, I think he folded the tent prematurely. Uh, and I'm disappointed that he did so because that's a, a an issue that we really need to be pushing forward. Um, and so what, what's your message then as a, as a, as a revered elder in this medical professional, medical profession, you know, what, what is the message that you have to, to all of these doctors who continue with this charade? Um, you know, if you could address them, what would you tell them and, 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 uh, what would your message be to them? Well, for a lot of them, I think it's too late. I mean, uh, they're going to pay the price. This was a, a plot to, uh, depopulate and I think they're going to be part of the depopulation. They have to be. And if you had listened to uh, Yolando, the, the Russian-American uh, um, uh, hero, in my estimation, uh, that's what he said. It's, you know, it's, uh, it's global and uh, they are going to pay the price. I think they should all be eliminated. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, and certainly they should be treated as murderers. And, uh, you know, tried and sentenced and, uh, you know, the, the replaced with people that actually care about their fellow man uh, and will uphold their Hippocratic Oath. I mean, I think the same goes for those officers that uh, arrested you and, and took you to the, uh, the psych ward. I mean, those people are not fulfilling their service oath. Uh, all these people need to be held accountable. You know, whether that day comes is yet to be seen, but I, I hope it does. Well, thank you. And it definitely the wheels are in motion, so I've got some some great support every level, and uh, I'm certainly going to have my day in court, and I'm looking forward to it. And uh, God willing, it'll all happen sooner than later. Fantastic. Well, sir, you know I appreciate you. I thank you for your bravery and and speaking your truth and uh, trying to protect your fellow man from this onslaught. Um, and as a, as a, as an elder in our community, I, I have great respect for you, uh, for doing that. And I wish that more folks in your position would stand up and, uh, help the rest of us out. Well, I appreciate it. And again, I want to thank you and I want to thank Ezra and I want to thank the whole team. There's just so many, and you know, I think that's something we need to really pay attention to and not, I think the diversity is good, but I think we have to keep keeping this ecumenical and keeping it uh broad base from every walk of life because if we if we disperse then we're going down the pathway that got us in this mess and i think that's it that's hugely important and i think it will happen and i think whenever it raises an ugly head on the divisive side i think it needs to be eliminated and uh you know it can be done really easy 
in any group, there's always going to be somebody that wants to blow their own horn a little louder. And, and that's fair enough. I mean, I think we have to, we have to have the leadership and that, but it, it has, we have to stay united because that's, that's, that's how they pull it off is divide and conquer. And yes, you know, yes. Absolutely. All right, sir. Well, I know you have a busy day. I appreciate your time today. And uh, you need you need anything from this end, you let me know. Uh, if you need to be put in touch with any anyone else, uh, any more contacts or something, you let me know and we'll do the best to uh, support you and uh, ensure your uh, day in court is victorious. Well, thank you very much. And believe me, I, I tend to make phone calls in that regard. So Gird your loins. <laughs> I shall, sir. Thank you so much, and, and God bless, and have a great day. Thanks a lot, man.